Hi everyone, welcome to the Real Science Podcast, the podcast where three highly qualified, eager to record a podcast, not at all wasting a bunch of time professionals, pick a movie and then pick apart the science. My name is Kenan Smith. My name is Sean Crossan. I'm Michael Pace. Pace, do we have any disclaimers? Before we get started on discussing these great, great movies that we watch, we do have some disclaimers, including the fact... What are they? (laughs) Including the fact that we are just very, 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 very picky... Tired. Intelligent, tired, drunk, semi-intoxicated scientists. <laughs> All right. Um, and that being said, that makes us even more critical of how we normally are during our work day. Right. And so we, you know, we we uh, we're very serious with how we analyze these films with a scientific theme. Also, given the hour of the <laughs> evening, uh, and that we are three disgruntled graduate students, we, there might be some light cursing. Mm-hmm. We'll be saying things like "ding dong," um, "wamboozled," "wamboozled." Probably a couple of magumbos will be in there. Uh, Lily Liquor. Oh, jeez. Can we not? That's really bad. Yellow oh, belly. I don't actually know what it means. Sweet. So what Pace is saying is that uh, we're pretty critical. We're probably going to lean a little hard on this movie like we always do, uh, even though the movie doesn't really deserve it. But hey, we're here to uh, talk about the science and why it's bad or good. That's what so. makes it fun. <clears throat> what movie do we watch, Sean? Well, Kenan. Michael Crossan. Today, we watched The Andromeda Strain, which is a movie that came out in 1971 and it's based on the novel by Michael Crichton, who also did Jurassic Park, which is another movie that we did on this podcast. Episode two. Episode two. And I will try not to be as hard on his work this time. Oh, you mean how you dumped on Jurassic Park Uh, real hard? I think... I think my rating might have been low, but I, I mm-hmm. still like the movie. And I also like this movie. When was this movie written? 1969. 1969. Nice. <laughs> Let's get right into we it. We went to the moon <laughs> in 1969. What I'm is done. that? That's from Even Stevens. Pace. <laughs> How are you guys doing other than whatever's happening right now? I mean, I'm doing all right. I'm about one and a half rogue six hop IPAs into my body. You are. Pace, you guys can't see it, but Pace is oh, wildly gesticulating with his hands pretty close to where Sean's water glass is. And my face. And on the other side of that is Sean's PC, so uh, yeah. it's going to be a good night. I also, uh, I'm doing well. I am a little sick, but... A little... It was intentional. Sort of an understatement. It was intentional because I was listening to our old recordings. <laughs> right. Um, and and you're Pace, sick of them. Pace's voice sounds so much better than mine. So I decided to get sick to try and get that gravelly oh, sort of, yeah. oh, I see what you're you know, going allure. For. You're trying to character it up a bit. Yeah, so yeah. I actually got Lawrence Fishburne to infect me, and <laughs> I got sick from him. That's an Osmosis Jones reference. Uh, that's really good. Making. Yeah, yeah. But it, honestly, he went a little too rough and tumble in there, I so mean, yeah. I got I ate Chris Rock also. You also ate Chris Rock. <clears throat> Yeah, so he's in there. Uh, just, okay. just they're fighting away. We're committed to this bit, so I want you to keep going. No, I mean that's what's happening. It's that's what I did. Oh, you got Lawrence Fishburne in. I've Rock got. Um, yeah. I've got a cold pill in my bag. If uh, you want it. No, okay. you know I think that Jones can handle it this time. Oh, do you think so? Yeah, um, I feel a little better. No, not really. Maybe I should take the cold you pill. Take the cold is pill. it? Is it David Hyde Pierce though? Because I just Draco Benzo Metapetramine. You wait. You remember the fake pill name from the movie we watched two weeks ago? Yeah. Three weeks ago? Wow. I don't remember anything about my own research. Anyways, so I'm sick. I'm doing okay. And if you haven't listened to the last episode where we review Osmosis Jones, you're not going to get any of those references. No, nope. so, uh... but go ahead and go listen to it because I guarantee you it'll be better than this one. Oh, you can't say oh, that. We don't know that. We don't know <laughs> that yet. Recorded it yet. It's fine. I'll just put this at the end. Kenan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm leaving for California in like four days. City uh, of Angels. Is that? It is that. It is that. It is. It is. California girls know how to party. 
It's undeniable. I mean, it is it is like the angels in Spanish, right? Yeah, no, I know. Good. <laughs> I got it. I got it. We're going to be collecting uh, electron microscopy data for the lab that I work in, and we're going to talk about that a little bit during this episode because our good friends, uh, Old Man, Old Man, and Old Man and Ruth uh, in the Andromeda strain uh, got to use an electron microscope uh, during their uh, analysis of Andromeda. Cool. All right. Well, I guess maybe for our listeners, maybe we'll go into a little bit about the plot of what happens in the movie, and then we'll start talking about the science, do all the rating, the reviewing, oh, the scraping yeah. and groaning. Sean, you're in the middle of the three of us. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Here, let me get my goggles on. I'm going to dive into the deep end right now. Okay. All right. I'm going to get up in my lifeguard chair and uh, okay, we're get a lot little of stuff on my nose and blow my whistle. Beep. Make sure you take your shirt off. Oh, oh yeah. Hold on. <laughs> I, I meant that like <clears throat> metaphorically, not physically, to, to do it. No, you can keep it off. That's fine. Do you want my shirt on or off? <laughs> I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> Sean, tell us about the plot. All right. So in the beginning of the movie, basically, um, there are two Air Force personnel that are trying to recover a satellite from the Scoops project, which the they talk project. the Scoop project, which they talk about later. So this satellite has uh, crashed onto Earth in a town called it starts with the P- Piedmont, New Mexico. Piedmont, Piedmont, New Mexico. New Mexico. And where po- all the alien things happen. Right. And all your dreams come true. And the pop okay. Piedmont, <laughs> not, New Mexico. No, not for these people. So <laughs> the population the sixty eight people, very small town. These two Air Force personnel are going to recover the satellite. Um, so they come in. It's supposed to be nighttime, even though you can like very clearly see yeah, everything. It's, I think it's, it's nighttime, but there's just light from everywhere. Yeah, I think it's honestly because like they wanted you to be able to see everything, so they were like they were trying to make it duskish. I but, guess. But, but either way, we get this really good cut back and forth between the soldier outside in what might as well be like. 6.30 in the morning, 7 in the morning, as far as light is concerned, and he's just staring through, I guess, what are night vision night vision binoculars, and it's harder for him to see than if he, if he was just using regular binoculars. Right, yeah. So they're going into this town, and they're going to recover the satellite, and as they get in, they're on constant radio communication with the base, and they're saying, like, oh, it's really eerie here, I don't see anybody, it's kind of weird, no one's in this town, and then they're like, oh my god, there's a body. And then you hear, and this is all just heard. Basically. Yeah, we hear it through. We're, the perspective is in whatever base uh, the like Air Force is monitoring this from, where we only hear the two men on the other side of the radio who are yeah. detailing this spooky thing. They're telling the base that people are dead. They start panicking, and over the speakers you hear a scream, and then the voice cuts out. Yep. Presumably these two people were killed. And this whole time their supervisor, whoever it is on the other side, is trying to get someone else on the phone and he says something along the lines of like, damn it, I don't care, get him out of bed! Yeah. Or something like <laughs> yeah, that. He was like, god damn it, get me through! Get this line through! <laughs> get this line through! Right, so they send everything up the chain, uh, goes up to higher government officials, and they basically call a code name uh, Wildfire, yep. which is their code name for this crisis situation where like people are dying, they don't know what's going on, they suspect it's biological related, because we find out that this scoop project that the satellite is from... They were searching for uh, extraterrestrial forms of biological life. Yep. And the the reasons for this we'll get to later. Um, it's not really important for the science, but it's a big plot point. So in case you haven't seen the movie, we'll try and cover it later. What is important for now is that it, as it climbs up the chain of command, uh, the government officials you know, responsible for receiving this information, they send armed guards to a man's house. We see them basically interrupt a party. 
the man's wife answers. She looks outside. And she's like, is that man holding a gun? And he's like, yes, ma'am. It's for your protection. Is Dr. Stone here? Uh, and she's like, what's his first name? Uh, Oliver. So no, I don't, I don't, I don't think know. it's Oliver. It's, it's Jeremy Stone. Jeremy. Jeremy? What's going on? Yeah. And he comes to the door, says, like Sean mentioned, because it has to be dramatic, says very limited information to his wife after these armed guards say, uh, what, there's a wildfire? There's a fire. Yeah, yeah, there's a fire. And then Dr. Stone goes, I have to go, Deborah," And then kisses her and leaves. And that's it. So much yeah. for a lifelong partnership with no secrets. Right. Right. Which, which, like, of course, obviously, it's supposed to be top classified information. But it's still just funny how, like, you can tell someone what's going on yeah. without revealing classified information. Yep. But in movies, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Because it's more dramatic if it doesn't. Mrs. So. Mrs. Stone, I am an important doctor that works on infectious diseases. And the government, the government is my here. country needs me. Yeah, and then you say, I'll be back. I can't tell you what's going on. It's classified. And she'd be like, okay, don't forget to eat. And then she'd pack you lunch and then you'd leave. That would be it. Yeah. Before we go on, mm-hmm. we should discuss briefly what is important for NASA in regards to searching for extraterrestrial forms of life, especially microorganisms. The first part is probably a bit obvious, is that obviously if they're dangerous, you don't want them causing a, a, a disaster running rampage on Earth, right? So you're saying they'd be looking for forms of extraterrestrial life in order, like, as a way to preload information for us to prevent infection from something outside of Well, that, but I mean, Earth. I think that just there's a normal intellectual curiosity for human beings about if, if extraterrestrial life exists. Definitely. But I would actually even argue one of the major concerns that humans are looking for is, of course, life on other planets. Yep. Right? And therefore, we don't want to, like contaminate an asteroid another planet with microbes or bacteria whatever you have from our own planet because then we might mistake that extraterrestrial life when we actually contaminate it ourselves yeah there also is the risk factor i guess if you're sending people sending astronauts out sending equipment out bringing equipment home what if something there is some sort of extraterrestrial pathogen you you don't know because you've never explored it so right so their decontamination procedure is going into it and coming back out of it again yep um so they start assembling, back in the movie, they start assembling their crack team of scientists. 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 Sorry. Yep. Scientists. Assistance to scientists. Um, and you can see everybody getting pulled away. A lot of, you know, heavily armed government officials show up and they're like, there's a fire. We need you. And We've got Dr. Jeremy Stone. Okay. Jeremy Stone. He's the leader who he's... assembled the wildfire team. Yep. He's played by Arthur Hill. Okay. Yes. Arthur and C. Hill. And then Dr. Charles Dutton, who in this movie plays the... Uh, Angry old man who's the voice of reason. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. He just wants to move to Alaska. Right. He just wants to move to Alaska. <laughs> and, and his wife is convinced that he's going off to a hippie colony because he's not bringing any clothes with him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we've got Dr. Mark Hall, who is the sexy 70s MD. More like, a, more like sexual predator. He's a little creepy in yeah, this movie. I, we'll, we'll get into it, but he's a little creepy. Played by James Olsen, the only person that I recognized in this movie, because he's also in Commando and in the 1971 adaptation. Yup! He's in Commando. <laughs> oh, yep. Sean's brain just exploded. <laughs> wow. He's in Commando and in the 1971 adaptation of the play Ragtime, which I assume none of you guys oh, have seen. Oh, that's my favorite. Two ships passing. No, I haven't seen it. No. You've told me, you've sang this before, though. It's so good. But I haven't seen it. It's fine. And then we have uh, my favorite character in the movie, Dr. Ruth Levitt. She's real great. She, Ruth rules 
Ruth is my new hero. She's so sassy. She's the sassiest person I've ever seen. She's played by Kate Reed. Uh, And then another person who gets a lot of screen time is uh, Karen Anson, who's an assistant that we'll talk about, played by uh, Paula Kelly. So again, this team is being assembled. um, And the first thing they do is uh, Dr. Stone and Dr. Hall go put on their like hazmat oxygen suits. Yep. And they get someone in a helicopter to drop them off in Piedmont yep. to recover the satellite dish and also to look for survivors. Yeah, and to look, you know, get and an to idea just see, of what happened, see what's like, happening. Look at the dead people and things like that. So you get a lot of scenes um, oh of them just like looking around the town and just people dead in really weird circumstances. This movie is ostensibly rated G. Yeah, which is insane. <laughs> there are so many images of dead kids in this movie. Yeah, there's it's a lot of like... Well, yeah. not just dead kids, but there's nudity as well. There's also yeah, nudity. There's, like yeah, someone just laying in their bed with their shirt off who's dead. Which, like, the idea, what they're trying to do in the movie is show that, like, people are just in the middle of doing some everyday thing and, and they just, just drop died. dead. Right. So, which like, is pretty important because it shows how, how fast acting whatever this, this foreign pathogen or whatever it is was right uh was was killing people but they contrast this a couple times with one or two people (laughs) at least one person who has uh taken a longer time apparently to die because she had time to commit suicide right everyone around her was just dropping dead immediately right right so yeah there's a woman who's hung she wrote a suicide note there's another guy days and something yeah there's another guy who's they find He's kneeling by the side of his bathtub, and he's just submerged his head in his bathtub. He drowned himself. Yep. So some people started going a little insane right before they died, but which is, you know, they don't know if it's from the disease or if it's because everybody around them started dying or what. But some people had time to do something, and other people just dropped dead. At this point, they have no idea what's been killing people. Right. Right. So So they find the satellite dish. Yep. They put it in a trash bag. (laughs) Yeah, they they go to the... the (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they go to the the, t- the town doctor, they go to his place, they find out that he has uh, picked up the satellite dish, carried it into his office, and popped the lid open, and then died in his chair. Uh, doctor Stone, the first thing he does is he walks over to the doctor, throws him onto the ground, pulls his pants down, and then turns to his compatriot and says, look at his butt. And his patriot's like, really? Not now? Look at his butt! <laughs> he says it's not funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the, sorry, the MD does that. Yeah, yeah. The, the MD goes up and he's like, look at his butt. And and he's like, no, 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 there should be blood pooling. You should see, you know, dark spots on his on his butt. Which was, although used for a joke, kind of cool because we got like a little bit of, you know, medical knowledge going yeah, yeah. immediately. Which led into this future finding that they had eventually that in every person that they found... The blood was completely clotted. Yep, right. So there's no bleeding in any of the patients. Yeah, so they're looking around. There, there have been vultures in the town that have like started eating the dead bodies and stuff. And you can see like bite marks, but there's just no bleeding. There's no blood coming out. One of the soldiers that uh, Air Force members who investigated the crash site earlier, like it's implied that he smashes his head on the steering wheel. He has this big, definitely not manufactured looking cut on the front of his head that didn't bleed at all. And they're like, why? Why is nobody bleeding? Right. Well, I think, and I think if you combine the speed at which people were killed, which is ridiculously fast, because they were, they were doing something like a mid-daily life activity, right? Yep. They were killed. They died Combine that with the fact that all of their blood is clotted. Yep. I see no precedent for anything that we on Earth, modern society knows of, that could lead to the entire clotting of your entire blood supply that quickly. Well, other than magic. 
Oh, well, yeah, I mean, of course magic. Well, obviously everyone in the town rolled very, very poorly on a constitution check and just died immediately. Magic is just science we don't understand. That's right, Thor. You're correct. So, um, How many more references, nerd references? Can we pack some more in there? Transformers! (laughs) Ha ha! Big Bang Theory. So, Jesus Christ. So, what Pace was saying is they find out that everyone's blood is clotting entirely, like, instantaneously in their bodies. And they cut a guy's a dead body's wrist open. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the doctor. They cut his wrist open, and you just see this red powder. Yeah. That looks like sprinkles, basically. It honestly like just sand, looks like just they're pouring sand. sprinkle out of sprinkles yeah. out of his arm, just fa- falling out of his arm. And they're like, "Look, his blood is entirely clotted. It's totally dry." And they're like, "It's not just clotted. It's, it's completely, it's completely dry. dry." So I wanted to ask you guys about this. Oh yes. God. Because clotting and sand blood seem a little different to me yeah they sure so yeah. and i know they needed a way to theatrically display the effect of someone's entire body's blood clotting but if your blood clotted would it look like this absolutely not i don't think so no. I, I i think that we saw a little bit of it with the the, the vulture bites on that one human being right mm-hmm. i think that was more accurate than the cutting the guy's wrist open so with, sure. the, with vulture bites you had just no it, bleeding it looked like it clotted looked like clotted no bleeding that's 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 what clotted that's blood what, would look that's like. That's what it should blood. like. <laughs> right. So when blood clots, like unless it dries, which inside contained within a human body, it should not do so because there still should be some moisture, right? Yeah. Because yeah, there's right. there's no reason to think that this uh, foreign, you know, pathogen, whatever it was, would have deprived the human body of water. Right. Right. And, but when so when blood clots, it forms more like what's you know more like gel like a mucky yeah exactly yeah. you get you know well it's, it's a, a very of... long involved pathway but you get basically a lot of aggregates that form within right. the blood because it of... cause it to gel up into platelets yep and all sorts of other factors yes things like that yeah so, you get a lot of protein yeah. just like and anytime you have a bunch of proteins that are like semi precipitating or aggregating it's yep. just gonna look like gunk which is why right. whenever you form like a scab on your skin or something like that granted there's plasma and a couple other things in there when it, you first start forming the, uh, uh, the scab, it's like very gunky and weird and nasty. Yes. But as it dries out, it becomes obviously more dry. When they cut the doctor open, they just poured sand directly I out think, of it. yeah. Obviously, whatever weird thing is happening here is somehow able to cause this effect of humans. <laughs> yep. Where the blood clots so fast and gets so dry for whatever reason that it produces this effect. But normally... No way. I mean, at this point in the movie, a differential diagnosis on why their blood has become sand all of a sudden, other than the obvious explanation of magic, is not really all that possible. But later on, we find out when it's, you know, crazy space something that kills people, it makes a little bit more sense because it's not a real thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, it's very much science fiction. So, like, you can have unrealistic things happening. They find the satellite, they bring it over to the van, and then they hear what sounds like a goat or a cat. Or a baby. It was a baby. Yes, because it, it was a baby a crying. They hear a baby crying. Yep. And everybody they've seen so far is dead. So they run towards the sound and yep. they find a baby. The mom is dead. Everybody in the house is dead. But the baby's just sitting there crying. It hasn't eaten in like 12 hours or something. And it's obviously not doing great. I mean, the baby in the film looks fine, but they're saying it's not doing great because it hasn't been fed in 12 hours. Right. And it's just crying nonstop. So they take the baby and they go outside and this crazy old man with a cleaver runs up to them yep. and is like... Wearing like a tea cozy wearing, or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, he's wearing like nothing. You know, they're in full hazmat gear this entire time with like big oxygen tanks. They and look the like they just came like from outer space. Wearing a slip. Yeah. And the guy's like, you good. guys did it. You're 
like he thought they were aliens. You're the basically. government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he passes out, and they put him and the baby on the helicopter and take the satellite dish and go to the base, which is Wildfire, the Wildfire base that they've set up, which is yeah. What I was real quick, I don't want to interrupt you. No, it's it's okay. important. How do we want to refer to the baby? Like, what name do we want to call the baby? Ooh, this is fun. Let's call him Francis. Francis the baby. Francis okay. the baby. What's the name of the old man? Old man Jenkins. Charles. All right, old man Jenkins and Francis the baby. Old okay. man Jenkins is better. I agree. Okay. Yeah, okay. Cool. All right, so old go man ahead. Jenkins. So they, get, they get Francis the baby and old man Jenkins. Or his first name could be Charles. We can call him Chuck Jenkins. Ooh, oh my god, I like that. <laughs> All right, so chunk, chunk, chunk. <laughs> Chunk Jenkins. I'm Chunk Jenkins. I'm Chunk Jenkins. All right. So. The Chunk Captain Chunk. <laughs> so Chunk Jenkins and Francis the baby. Yep. Go to the helicopter. So now they cut to uh, the other doctors, Ruth and Dutton. Dutton. Yep. They're going to the base. It's in the middle of the desert in Arizona. In New, New Mexico. Mexico. I'm pretty sure they said it's in Arizona because it's north of... It's like by Vegas. They were like, oh, it's near Vegas and west of this. I don't know. I'm not a this. geographist, so I have no idea. It's in the middle wow, of did the... did you say geographist? <clears throat> yeah, I'm just going to let it go. It's it in the middle I'm, of the desert. means I'm a fighting map maker. Sorry, go ahead. It doesn't matter. It's in the middle of the desert. Yeah, okay. So they're going to this base, and it is cleverly disguised as an agricultural farm. farm. They, it's a barley farm. Right, kind. Right. She does make a joke saying that it'd be a great place to grow pot, but... Yeah. yeah. Which, for <laughs> 1971, good on you. <clears throat> nice. Yeah. So... It's a ordinary barley farm with a yep. ton of government officials around with, it, with a bunch of signs that say "U.S. Agricultural Center." Yeah, all over the and they're place. all they're all dressed kind of like you know they live out west. They're, they they're all like dressed like soil analysts, jeans and cowboy yeah. hats and yep. stuff. So they go Howdy, inside. Y'all. They have to say some sort of crazy code to get in. Yeah, it was this just... cryptic code about how his watch died at eleven forty-five. Yeah, it was like, something like do that. you have the time? Mine stopped at eleven forty-six. Oh, Getting must, hot. Must be the hot. heat. Too hot. Yeah, must yeah. be the heat. And then they just like wink and then open the door. They wink and... like fourteen times. <laughs> yeah. Sequence, yeah. So they let him in. They walk into a broom <laughs> closet. That's a secret elevator. Yep. Yes, and they go all the way down towards this uh, location, and yep. that's the the secret base that they're in for basically the rest of the movie. So Ruth and Dutton have made it to the secret base. <clears throat> At the same time, we also get Dr. Stone and Dr. Hall uh, walking up to this silver mystery box, and they plug their uh, super clean suits into the mystery box, hit a button on top, and then they suddenly start glowing with electro- electric light, and the scene ends. And we have absolutely... No idea what that was intended to it's, be. It's got to be some sort of decontamination. Right. So it's obvious that they're trying to decontaminate. Yeah. But they basically plugged an outlet into their suits and then just like... <laughs> and then the scene ends and we have no idea what it was. And right. keep in mind this movie is set in present day when it was filmed. So it's set in 1971. Yep, yep. So like the technology and everything is all modern. They're not like... It's not a futuristic virus or anything. Yeah, all the all the major equipment you see actually in the laboratories are just older versions of stuff we use now. Right. I mean, everything looks very chrome and sciency, but yeah. you know that's just because it's supposed to be a top secret. Chrome yeah. is the future. Everything's chrome in the future. I mean, I use the browser, so that's. <laughs> they go into the secret base, and they lay out a plan. Doctor Stone says. What, what is this, three stages? We got three stages, all right. Yeah. We're, we are going to first detect whatever this foreign body, foreign pathogen, foreign microorganism is. Second, we're going to characterize 
How does it? How does it grow? What is it? Uh, what's its energy source? What does it eat? What's what it made of? Eat? Uh, last, containment and extermination. How does that stack up to the actual scientific process that we use on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think that, okay, but... Wario noise. <laughs> I think that the goals here are important to keep in mind. Obviously, they're dealing with some obviously hostile, foreign, probably extraterrestrial uh, form of life. Yeah, at right? this point, they have absolutely no they have idea. no was, idea. But they know it was on the satellite. So they, they're obviously taking lots of precautions. Um... But that actually leads me to a point that I wanted to talk about, um, which I know is kind of surprising because I never like to talk about points. <laughs> um, but I think that the actual scientific process that they show in this film is is slow, but also entertaining. And therefore, it's I mean, I think it's pretty honest and accurate in regards to, some, to the scientific process because Dr. Stone is very persistent on following protocols and doing everything according to standard procedure. Right. Okay. Um, which is how a normal laboratory works. You follow standard protocols. Well, you do things one step at a time in order to right. identify, understand. Which is what like they that. do. And I know it doesn't surprise us. It's pleasing to us to watch it. But at the same time, a lot of scientific films and sci-fi films, you see people conducting experiments, you know, as if they only have five minutes to finish the damn thing. Yeah. And it's unnecessarily dramatic. Well, Get this of the thermocycler. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I think that they actually <clears throat> capture the monotony, the, the drudgery of conducting science yeah. in this film pretty well. Which, like, I think the only other movie that I've seen, and coincidentally <coughs> one that we've covered in our first episode, that has done that to sort of this effect was Contagion. Right. Although Contagion had, like, a much longer timeline that it was able to cover because it was also about the epidemic itself. Yeah, True. but I think the beginning of Contagion, they rushed through so many things. Yeah. They, they were did. like, Oh, we got a structure. Oh, here's the protein. Yeah, 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 yeah. And for, for well, we this, did talk about that. How like the they, CDC is operating on like all like on afterburners. Yeah, but like this everything. is supposed to be right. Top government, like top secret government uh, scientists that are working underground in this bunker. Yeah, that are trying to do you know really analyze this. Find there's out what only it is. four of them. Yeah, there's only four of them, and they go through a 16 hour decontamination process just to get down to work on the satellite dish. Which we had a couple <clears> issues <throat> with about why you would even need to do that. Right, so yeah, right, that is a good point. Okay, so first just to set up, because this is key for the plot at the end, there is a nuclear self-destruct defense mechanism yep. set with this base. So, if a contamination is detected then there is an automatic five-minute timer to total thermonuclear annihilation. Yeah, okay. not of the whole planet, but just, just specifically of, of the wildfire base. Right, and right. the whole reason is to prevent the spread of whatever pathogen to neighboring areas. Anyway. And the idea is that, oh, we blow it up with a nuke, nothing's going to survive that, that will just irradiate everything. Yep. And they give the one guy, Dr. Hall, the <sighs> MD... He's yep. supposed to be the odd man. He's a single male, so they were like, oh, he's going to be the best at this decision-making. Yep. And they base this on some scientific statistic study that they've done. That, like, single males are the best are at making decisions under pressure. Under pressure or yeah. something, I don't Which know. Maybe want to jump out of a window. Yeah, but, but anyways, <laughs> so they give him this key, and they're like, you can stop the detonation sequence Yep. Um, if you go to one of these ports. And the best part about this sequence was is that the person that they're explaining this to right uh in order to explain it to the audience they say 
oh, you're the odd man. And he goes, what's that? And someone goes, oh, you should have read the information packet. And so it's clear (laughs) he didn't read the information packet. They tell him he's the odd man. And then they hand him the one key that can turn off the nuclear explosion. No. That will happen in the emergency. (laughs) And then after they do that, he, the person who didn't bother to read the information packet, Dr. Stone, the lead of this project, then proceeds to explain the entirely too complicated facility that they're in and where the different stations are that they can turn off the nuclear explosion happen to be. Yeah. And it takes, like, I during this point in the movie, I completely zoned out and just didn't listen to anything that Dr. Stone said because it was such a long explanation. So I have to imagine that our horny Dr. Hall did absolutely no pre-pro at all for this. There's also this great subplot where they're installing new um, sub the ports. ports. Yeah. And so and that's where he can go to turn off the nuclear explosion. So there's some that are unfinished. There are just some that are completely <laughs> Which missing. Is... Yeah, there are some explosion off buttons that are completely missing. Sorry, Sean, are you opening a Crystal Pepsi in my house? <laughs> no, 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 no. It, can't. it seems it's, flat. It's Pepsi Crystal. Yeah, it seems flat because it was all made in 1945 or whatever the hell it is. Wow, do you see how there. little bubbles just came out of that? This is such good audio content. Sean, can I get a swallow from you, please, if you're in a... <laughs> Sean? Okay, so, uh, oh, ladies God. and gentlemen, Sean just took a sip of this Crystal Pepsi, uh, and no, 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 it looked no. like his, his skeleton was leaping out of his oh, freaking Oh my God, body. that's terrible. Pepsi Crystal. It's okay. not Pepsi Crystal. In Pepsi's defense, this is definitely past the expiration date. <laughs> so right. let's say, according to the cap, this bottle of Crystal Pepsi, Pepsi Crystal, expired on March 20th of 2017. <laughs> nice. That's approximately... Uh, eight months ago. Mm-hmm. So let's have a sip of this delicious Pepsi Crystal. Alright, so Pace is about to take It a smells like Pepsi bad Crystal. Pepsi. So it's such good audio. So it smells like Pepsi because Pepsi is bad, by the way. I mean, again, another one of Pace's, poor, Pace's polarized opinions. Yeah, polarizing Pace. Pace. Oh, that it actually isn't that much different from normal Pepsi. Plastic containers, right? They're semi-permeable, so you will eventually lose the carbonation from the plastic container. <laughs> which, since it's past the expiration date, it's just totally flat. Even this tastes open. like garbage. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, bad. Dude. I mean, it's it's not Coke. It's expired. So... Co- Man, what is this guy? I don't like? know. Coke is better than it's, Pepsi. I don't understand. This is like not a hill that people <laughs> die on normally. Yeah, like what is this? <laughs> what, the Pepsi versus Coke? Yes. Have you been to Atlanta? So now they go through their 16... 16- our decontamination, all right? which is a oh, very long time. It's ve- doing this. It's a very long time, and it's also pretty unnecessary. Yeah, because they don't ever come into direct contact with the virus, right? Yeah. So, well, or whatever it is, or sorry, not virus with the pathogen, because they work through everything through like a what's it called, like a box, boxes, a glove box. They use robots and everything to touch everything. Yeah, right. So they're behind some sort of membrane. Every like something every plastic, time, they every time they're working with it. To, to be fair, I think the reason they still go through that is is because they don't want to detect something right. that they brought in themselves and think like, oh, this is what is bad. This is what invaded the the small town and killed everyone. Right. True. I mean, it definitely makes sense to want to be in a clean facility. Yes. Right? And you don't want to like get sick, come down with a cold that you brought down there and be like, oh shit, the virus. I think it's just or a funny pet. contrast compared to like what actual decontamination or biosafety procedures sure. we have that are currently present in, you know, functioning human society. But like the ridiculous part where they, where they like burn off the exterior layer of their skin. Oh, yeah, yeah. In order to, like, just uh, 
completely decontaminate their bodies. So there's this part, for the listeners, there's this part in the movie where after they've gone through a lot of decontamination procedures and analysis procedures, like, they talk about how, oh, we have to take care of everything on the outside of the body, and now we have to clean our GI tracts because human beings are some of the dirtiest, like, organisms on the planet, blah, blah, blah. But there's this part where they walk completely nude, which they spend a lot of the middle portion of the movie naked, for whatever reason, while they're cleaning themselves. They walk into this room that they're told is a, like, xenon lamp room, and they're meant to put on these very 70s, like, glowing helmets in order to protect their facial hair and their faces, and then they're apparently blasted with a xenon lamp. After the lamp turns off, you see every single one of the people covered in this, like, fine white powder, and they're explained by our sensual robot assistant that the fine white powder on the outside (laughs) of their bodies is the first layer of their epidermis burned away in order to decontaminate them God, that's 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 that is raunchy as hell dude it doesn't basically sorry sean just took a really big sip of his crystal pepsi don't cough he on, forgot don't it wasn't cough water me, dude. I, thought, I thought it was water Can you, i'm gonna take your crystal pepsi away oh from you. please anyway so the, the biggest the biggest problem that i have with this is that if they had burned away the first layer of their dermis they would all be in horrendous pain oh it'd be i feel so like they painful. just had a sunburn like a yes. major, major sunburn. Yeah, it yes. feel terrible. Yeah, but they all just sort of like dust themselves off They're and like, walk out. Oh, I have all this ash on me. Yeah, <laughs> and then the robot's like, "Oh, you should go take a shower," which would be hell. Yeah, <laughs> anyone who's ever taken a, sh- a shower after getting a sunburn will know exactly what I'm yeah. talking about. Your skin yeah. would also be red. Oh yeah, because yep. the reason your skin turns red is because you get increased blood flow to the area because you just burned off a bunch of your skin. Yep. So like that's what they just did. They they would be beat red. They and just flash burn their skin. They wear this like Daft Punk mask <laughs> the entire they're, time while so they're doing it. They have this this big metal face mask to protect their heads. It's like covered in sequins. Yeah, it's, it's like covered in sequins. Yeah. And which is okay. So I get okay. You want to protect your face, but if you're not burning off the skin on your face and hair and eyes and mouth and everything that like is on your head. What is the point of doing this whole thing? Not only that, but... I agree. Can you imagine... And this is going to get a little blue, so I apologize, audience. But they're all in there naked? Yeah. Their genitalia would have been scorched. Yeah, they, like, spread their legs, too. Yeah. And at least, like... The, the lady literally says, spread your legs in order to make it more effective. Which is oh. horrifying! Oh, God. They, yeah, take back everything. This is the scariest part of the entire movie. Talk about Ruth! Oh, oh God, that'd Ruth. be so bad. Poor Ruth. Anyways, they go through excessive decontamination that is really all, like, kind of made up. Like, yeah. People don't do this. Well, how, for, for humans. I mean, Pace, I know you had something for this, so how does that compare to actual... I do. I think that the, the easiest way we could compare this to what actual biosafety level standards exist, like, now, today. Sure. Uh, there are four levels, right. and they're called just, like, BSL, as in biosafety level, one through four. Right. I'll list the one that is the most similar to what we would have, the highest one, BSL-4. So with this, you're basically working, you're working with things that can be transmitted just in the air, airborne things such as viruses, um, for which we have currently no vaccine and no treatment. So like that's, it's the most dangerous things you can work with. So like the common cold. No. Wrong. False. Something I was actually very surprised by, yep. there are less than 50 BSL-4 approved labs worldwide. That actually doesn't surprise me considering yeah. like how many major precautions you have to take in order exactly. to operate a BSL-4 lab. Um, exa- and some of these precautions include 
Uh, you have to pass through mm-hmm. chemical showers yep. for decontamination. You have to wear the pressurized bodysuits. Yep. Uh, and anytime someone enters or exits this laboratory, it's it's uh, recorded. One example of a lab that we, they do have one. There's four or five in the U.S., including the CDC in Atlanta. Um, and if you're working with things such as Ebola, that's worked with under these these conditions. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the really crazy things about BSL four labs is that uh, the instrumentation that you use within <coughs> BSL four labs also has to conform to BSL sta- BSL four standards. So once a piece of equipment has made it into that laboratory, if it ceases to function, it cannot leave the laboratory without extensive like right. sterilization procedures. Right. Or the person who is qualified to fix these things has to go through decontamination or uh, sterilization procedures enter the BSL-4 lab, and then carry out any repairs within that lab itself in order to fix them. Yeah, you can't send anything away to get fixed, which is pretty crazy. Yep. Um, Um, And this, I guess in the movie, you'd call this like BSL-20. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they go through like five different levels of, as you say, you know, different levels of like biosafety, but 16 hours worth of decontamination procedures to go through each one of those levels just to go to the bottom layer and then also completely separate themselves from whatever they're working with the entire time that they're right. Doing. Right. So it's like, I mean, I get in BSL four, you take a chemical shower and then you go into the pressurized hazmat suit. Yep. Which is like, I don't see why you wouldn't just use that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, they could they could have all of the precautions that they put in place in order to prevent whatever they're working with from escaping into the outside air and have far fewer decontamination procedures in order to get down there and work with it. They yep. can just work under BSL-4 conditions and then have all these other things in place to <laughs> right. prevent it from escaping this underground bunker. I mean, that makes the most sense. Right. Um, so the next one is obviously, what does like work our way down? So BSL-3, you're you're still working with microbes that can cause like very serious and potentially lethal disease. Can you give us an example? Via inhalation, yes. Um, like... The uh, tuberculosis or the West Nile virus okay. would be examples of things that are worked with at BSL-3. You said the West Nile virus like my grandpa. You know, the West Nile virus. The West Nile virus. <laughs> uh, but, and this is, and you're almost always working in a fume hood in this case because you're still working with airborne things that can, right. that, that can, uh, that can uh, infect people in that manner. Um, next, you have BSL-2, which is working with things that are a, a moderate potential hazard to personnel and the environment. Uh, this includes things like HIV, Salmonella, um, or Staphylococcus aureus. HIV is BSL two. BSL two, yes. Well, I guess it would make sense because uh, the. I mean, you would obviously have more stringent procedures in place for a lab that works with HIV. Um, so, for contrast, I work. I do not work on an infectious virus that kills humans, but I work in a BSL two lab. But an HIV lab would have far more procedures that would in, uh, involve safety with needle sticks. And things like yeah, that. Yeah, right? sure. So, like, sure. you would have to worry a lot more about uh, uh, interactions with human skin and puncturing human skin. You would in something like my lab where I work with a virus that doesn't kill people. Right. I'm in a BSL-1 lab, and I work with the same virus. Speaking of BSL-1 labs, these are basically, like, your teaching labs that you find in high schools and colleges. So, Sean's a teacher. Where you would work with, like, you know, things that don't cause disease in humans, like... Sean has Playmobil equipment in his lab. He's a little boy. My first pipetter. <laughs> hey, that's really cute. Um, but here's the well, there's a crazy thing though. I also I think technically work in a BSL one lab, but there's a lot of evidence to support that a lot of the proteins that I work with 
are Prian-like in nature, oh, so I'm probably going to die one that day. That would be like BSL-4. Can you explain <laughs> to our audience what a Prion is? I will absolutely explain to you what a Prion is. Go so, a Prion, let me give you a little just brief history lesson, not going to be long, but uh, you might have heard <laughs> of <laughs> Prion disorders. Oh, oh, oh no, I'll just stop coughing. Yeah, that's what I have. Good, no, no, good. Sorry, Pace. Sorry to interrupt. It's it's okay. With my coughing. It's okay. The audience here might have heard of a preon disorder uh, is in regards to some little thing called mad cow disease. Oh, yeah. That's a good example. Um, which is, I think, most predominantly affected people of the UK back in the 80s, where basically uh, these, these cows became infected with this type of protein called prion protein. Crazy thing about a prion protein is that you can digest it and then it will make its way into your central nervous system and cause a neurodegenerative disorder or basically cause all your brain cells to die. And the crazy thing about this is that you had people eating these cows that were, quote unquote, infected with the prion protein. And then 10, 15 years later, acquiring these prion diseases. The crazy thing about the, the prion proteins is that they're self-templating. A prion protein is a weird form of a protein, and then it encounters more of the same type of protein, changes that other protein's conformation, and then develops more and more and more of itself. It, pro- it self-propagates. Right, so these proteins have a way that they are normally built, or a way that they're folded, is how we refer to it. Yes. And uh, prions have the ability to interact with other, uh, other proteins, misfold <laughs> them, and then form these very, very large aggregates within human beings that yep. actually cause all the diseases. And in some cases, these prion proteins can actually recruit other mechanisms within the human body to assist in misfolding the rest of the proteins. So in a sense, unlike much like bacteria or like viruses, these prions are able to replicate by using some pre-existing human machinery just by making other proteins in the human body just like they are. Usually it's more prion protein. Yep. But the crazy thing is that that particular mechanism of quote-unquote spreading like the brand protein does happens for the same proteins that are affected in alzheimer's disease parkinson's disease or lou gehrig's disease frontal temporal dementia all of those have those same types of misfolded proteins that propagate and like seed in a similar manner which yep. is kind of scary because i work with those proteins every day if you've ever if you ever heard anyone talk about alzheimer's disease sometimes you hear the word amyloid these proteins all form the same type of aggregates Correct. in causing their diseases. Correct. Yep. It's kind of scary. I just um, work with a virus that doesn't cause disease in humans, so... Yep, with your Playmobil toys. Well, let's get back to the movie, okay. shall we? That was very nice, though, Pace. That was Thank very you. informative. Thank you. So, let's just skip to... They're in the bottom of the base now. Um, there's this whole sub-theme where they're trying to contact the government to say, like, blow up Piedmont because... This virus is out of not virus. This pathogen is out of control. We don't yep. know what to do with it. Whatever this is, enact just blow, protocol seven twelve. Yeah, or, protocol yeah. seven twelve. Blow it up. There's a communications error. They're not getting messages from the White House. The White House got their message, but they didn't receive anything. So they didn't blow up the town. It ends up being good, but we'll show you. We'll tell you why in a little bit. Right. So they start doing all these experiments. They have the patients. So the old man and the baby are quarantined yeah they send them down in this like special (laughs) elevator in the middle of the entire base and then put them directly actually they magically appear in this room on two operating tables where they stay for the entire time and they say that they're giving the man what like 
just saline and then saline and dextrose yeah they're filling the baby with dextrose so so they're just giving them like sugar and sugar and salt water to keep them alive yeah Yeah. because they don't know if like you know they've been in the city they're like what if we give them food and they just die like they don't know what the mechanism of disease is so the doctor spends most of his time trying to figure out what's up with these patients why they didn't die and the rest of the team is now doing meticulous tasks of trying to to figure out, you know, what does the virus, how does the virus work, characterizing yeah. it. And one of the first Not things that they, so we'll, we'll just call it Andromeda because they give the code, okay. code name Andromeda. They call it Andromeda. So whatever Andromeda is, they have no idea. One of the first experiments that they do is that they take the satellite and they put it into this main, like, room. And they have all of these different animals just, like, up on a wall in these sealed containers. <laughs> and they begin a process of, like, pulling down different animals, unsealing their containers, and seeing if they die upon exposure. One of the first things that they pull down is a rat that is roughly the size of, like, a Doberman and set it on the ground, open up the container, and the rat dies almost instantaneously. This giant, massive, I cannot stress how big this rat was. It is a really rat. big rat. It doesn't make any sense. The next thing they do is they pull down a rhesus monkey and they open up that cage and they find that the rhesus monkey dies just as fast. So in a process that would never be approved by our current standards of scientific practice... They have effectively eliminated or, or, or shown that the disease, obviously they already know it affects primates, but they've been able to show it in a controlled laboratory setting that it kills mice and that it kills rhesus monkeys in a very, very disturbing scene to watch. Yeah. That we later find found out that during the filming of this movie was carried out by filling a room with CO2, allowing these animals to pass out and then immediately reviving them, which oh, would not fly today. No, you couldn't do that. Not for a movie. Absolutely <laughs> not. For a movie. Absolutely not. <clears throat> not for a movie. But anyways, they've basically the virus is killing stuff. Yep. They know it's killing everything. They now have two. They now have two organisms. Pathogen. Andromeda is killing everything. Andromeda, Andromeda is killing everything. <laughs> uh, they now have two organisms they can perform autopsies on as well. Right. So they're looking to try and see if the cause of death is the same. It is. They have clotted blood. Yep. Um, and then they are trying to find the mechanism of the spread. So they have this monkey taped down to a table and then they open a cage with the dead rat in it yep and allow the andromeda to go into the monkey and they have some sort of imaging where they inject it with some dye you see like a syringe going and then you can see the imaging of like the air particles going into the body so you just see like its lungs fill and then its blood fills with it and then it dies yep immediately so they're saying like it's getting into the lungs Definitely airborne. You're breathing it it's in. It's airborne. It's going in the lungs. And yep. then the blood starts clotting instantaneously as soon as it gets in your lungs. And so they're like, okay, between these two experiments, we know it's definitely airborne. Let's start passing it into... Uh, did it just start killing more rats, I guess, by passing Yeah, they have another rat and they pass it through a filter. Yeah. Yep. So they start at like a very, very low size setting for a filter so i believe it was what 100 it's 100 100 100 very 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 small for a virus that's i like the reason they're doing this because you can pick these filters of different sizes in order to figure out what type of microorganism (laughs) it is you know viruses are very small right uh they're smaller than normal cells and then you have next biggest form of life which could probably say is the cell itself uh, and then, and so on and so forth. So they're trying to figure out how big this is to further define it. And although in this movie it's shown in a way that is absolutely not how we do this identification process, right? It works pretty well because we know of the size size differences, like Pace has said, between all of these different organisms. So they can start at a hundred angstroms, mm-hmm. right? 
and then work their way up until they get to the point where they're using a two micron filter and they see it passes through. Right. And the comment is made is that, oh, you know, roughly the size of an average cell. It's around two microns. Yeah. That's the size. And so, which they say, you know, oh, it must be a cell or could be a cell. So they, they're able to isolate the actual pathogen that they call Andromeda. They use, you know, the whole time they're using robots to pick everything yep. out to the sterile environment. They find the stone that has impacted the satellite. They pick that stone <clears> up <throat> and then they send it off to a lab that they call microchemistry. Microchemistry. Yep. Yeah. They have this pathogen and they want to see what it grows in. So they start culture plates. So they're literally just put it in petri dishes and like let it grow because it's just growing in the regular environment and they yeah. just subject it to a bunch of different, you know, environmental impacts. And at the same time, they also take some, or I guess, yeah, at the same time, they take some and put it in a mass spectrometer and see what elements it is made of. They actually so, analyze the rock that is running the satellite in addition yes. to the organism or whatever they think they've, they've isolated. Right. So, And they show that the rock is made of uh, some sort of plastic, mm-hmm. right, or some sort of polymer. And they know that the green crap uh, has carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen, which are building blocks of life, but is missing a very key element that would indicate that it has DNA. Phosphorus. Exactly. So they say, oh, apparently it has no DNA. And then they run it through, you know, an additional program in the mass spec and say, oh, are there any amino acids that are contained within this thing? Because that would indicate that there are proteins involved in the organism. And right. it says that there are no amino acids. So as we, as far as we know, this thing is made up of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. But none of those things are amino acids that at least we are able to identify on Earth. Right. Which as soon as I saw there was no genetic material, I was like... It's a protein. It's a prion, but then yeah. no amino acids, which just made my inflated heart go. I did the exact same thing. And yeah, they, they said no, no DNA, and I was like, "Sweet, it's a prion." And yeah. then Twenty seconds later, they said no amino acids, and we were like, "Well, we have no idea." Important to note: while they're doing these experiments, the MD, Doctor Sex Predator Hall. Yep. Is, wow. Jeez. Um, he's. Well, I think we can. <coughs> I think we can call him Horny Hall. Horny Hall. <coughs> Because he's he's weird, but he's not really weird. Right. He's he's a little he's a little raunchy. He raunchy. hits on a robot. Yeah. Which is weird. Uh, Horny Hall is investigating the two live subjects that they have who are remaining after Andromeda killed all these people. Sweet baby Francis. Sweet baby Francis and, and, Chuck, and Chuck Jenkins. Chunk Jenkins. <laughs> His so, name is Jackson. It is Jackson. Know. He's investigating these people, and this is really important actually as to as to how this movie ends, right? One's a baby yeah. and one's an old man. The adult man has had these terrible ulcers. He's had these bleeding ulcers for right. years and years. And so he's been drinking Sterno. Sterno. Which he calls Squeeze. He calls it Squeeze. For for the pain, which it's basically just denatured and jellied alcohol. And I didn't sterno. know that this was a thing, but, a, but the way that Dr. Hall reacts to this information that he's drinking Sterno is he just re- refers to him as a Sterno drinker. Right. Mm-hmm. As if this is a common occurrence. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe people in the 70s were drinking Sterno. Maybe he picked up the habit during Prohibition when you couldn't get alcohol. So he started drinking Sterno and then just really liked it. And he just kept doing it. And, and just stuck so, with it because it, it fixes it. stomach ulcers. Yeah. Which is also, I think he said it was, a. it says on the screen, it's a mixture of ethanol and methanol. Yeah. Which is like, uh, methanol's toxic, if you guys didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it is. My, yes. my dude would have died. Yes. <laughs> yeah, or been blind, at least. Yeah, at the very least would have gone so, blind at a young age. <clears throat> that being said, drinking the sterno is definitely going to lead to acidosis in the blood. So you're going to lower your blood pH. Yep. And when I say b- pH, 
I just mean like a relative way that scientists measure the acidity of something. Sure. I mean, so I think most of our listeners will know that like neutral pH is close to seven, right? If we all remember Maybe. our science, our science classes. <coughs> blood um, pH is roughly 7.4. 7.4. But as far as blood is concerned, any minor variations, any minor variations in your blood pH are a big deal it's for a how huge, your body operates. So right? any, any variations up to like, what, 7.6 is a major change at yes. least for your body. Well, because you know your your body evolved to to function in very precise conditions, exactly. such as ninety eight point six degrees Fahrenheit, and your pH is is just like this. And so they notice that this old man has is under a case of acidosis, and this is sort of the first bell as to why maybe he's not you know being infected by this uh, right Andromeda and mm-hmm. sweet the, baby Francis, sweet baby Francis, sweet sweet baby Francis, who has been crying a lot. Yeah. Yep. Um, they eventually run the baby's uh, blood through pH analysis, a pH analyzer, and they notice that it's at like 7.8, 7.6 or something like that. A little bit basic. Yep. And they're like, oh, what a basic baby. Most, what a basic, <laughs> basic, basic baby Francis. PSL drinking baby. Pumpkin spice latte. Pumpkin spice latte. You know, do people really call it the PSL? They absolutely yeah. do, yes. <laughs> the PSL. Well, anyways, they, they've got this baby who has alkaline blood. Yeah. They have this old man who has acid blood. Yeah. This is their first indication that, oh, maybe this might have something to do with what happened. <laughs> right. So they're looking at the cultures. There's a subplot where Ruth has epilepsy that she did not tell everybody about. So when she sees a flashing red light, she will go into, like, either have a mini seizure where she spaces out or she'll have a full-blown seizure where she's, you know, twitching on the ground and, like, unconscious. And foaming at the like mouth. Foaming at the mouth. Yeah. She's in charge of the blood cultures. Uh, not the blood culture, sorry, the Andromeda cultures. Right. And there's all these different scenarios where it's, like, x-rays or... You know, low oxygen, high oxygen, yeah. all these different things. So they take Andromeda and they put them on these plates <laughs> where we normally grow things like bacteria or what have you. And they expose them to different conditions like Sean is talking about. Like they bombard it with x-rays or right. they expose it to too much oxygen. And there's a scene where a plate comes up that has no growth. It's the only plate that has no growth of Andromeda. Uh, low or high acid, something like that. It's not neutral pH, basically. Yeah. And it's blinking. There's a blinking red light that says no growth. And, of course, Ruth spaces out yep. and doesn't actually detect this because she's trying to watch this. She doesn't see it. Yep. So that's the audience's first indication that, oh, there is some way to stop this thing from growing, but we don't actually... So far, our wildfire no. team has no idea. Right. So they go and look at a structure of this. They put it on a electron microscope. Which I know Canon is interesting to talk oh about. Oh my god, it was so cool. So you should t- tell people how cool it is. We actually got to see them. Uh, it's it, not cool. It's, no, I mean, you tell them, but it's not Sean, cool. Sorry, guys, it's not cool. But just listen, listen, Sean Canon. works with plastic pipettes and stuff like that, like tools. He works with little baby tools I don't want to hear about. Okay. Yeah, anyway. It's kind of mean. I know. Uh, so anyway, we get this awesome scene where, uh, they've embedded the, uh, Andromeda strain. They've embedded it into this, uh, this wax or this polymer that you typically use when you do electron microscopy, where after you've embedded your sample, you slice it into these super, super, super fine, thin slices. You plop it into your electron microscope, bombard it with electrons so you can view it onto this viewing screen. And they, sh- they show a very brief snapshot of the process, but they give it its due time on the television. And I very much enjoy this. <laughs> because after this, they take a look at it and then everything else doesn't make any sense at all. Because they start seeing these crazy crystalline structures that pop up on the screen and it's moving and they say it's mutating. And it's, you've got all these crazy geometric patterns that they see on the EM. Right. And this is shocking to them because in an EM, it's basically in a vacuum that's being shot with electrons. So you would... Nothing should be alive. You would presume that nothing would be alive in that. 
Yeah. Because it's getting hit with electrons. That's basically radiation. It's also in a vacuum. Although this thing did survive in space. Right, exactly. So it survived in space. So, you know, the vacuum might not be as big a deal, but it's being bombarded with radiation and it starts growing and dividing. And the growing is very hand wavy. This is obviously some extraterrestrial, not real thing. Yeah, it's a lot of like film effects. So you just see like a geometric shape, just like double. And there's like a bunch of symmetrical geometric shapes. They're like, whoa, it's a crystalline structure. We know what it looks like now, but it's still growing. And Dr. Ruth has a lot of this rhetoric about how like, oh, of course it's crystalline. All of these different compartments would be perfect for biological processes. And this is when Ruth brings up the growth cultures that she's seen. So she, remember, she didn't see the negative one. Yep. But she did see all the positive ones, and she was like, it grows really highly under low oxygen um, with x-ray radiation. So when it's being bombarded with radiation and there's zero oxygen, it's able to grow. Right. So basically they're saying that this particle is just absorbing energy. And which like is what X-ray radiation is in whichever form it's there. Yeah, so it's just terrifying, right? It's just absorbing energy and then dividing and reproducing, like water and blood, I guess. (laughs) They they also learned that it was absorbing plastic that the Air Force learned. Yeah, we have this one scene that we cut to where a uh, uh, a jet is flying over the town of Piedmont. And the the pilot of said jet is radioing back to his base that oh my god everything rubber in the in the plane is melting. Blah, blah, yeah, blah. And we see like his face mask melting off of his face and things like that. He eventually crashes and this plays later on into the movie. So. And then his body is gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a great scene where the general that shows up or whoever he is that shows up to investigate the tra- crash site just pulls out these like very obvious bought at a special effects place bones from the interior of the plane. And they're like, oh my God, what is that? And it's like, I think it's an arm bone. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's also like the town of people in Piedmont, they were killed by this virus. Yep. And their bodies. Not there. virus. Sorry. They were killed by Andromeda. Yep. And. There are bodies there when they go look at the town. Yeah. They're not just a pile of bones. So this is implication that, like, the disease, Andromeda, is just changing and mutating constantly. And it's for some reason requiring different things. It is all-consuming. Yeah. Yeah, but it's weird because it didn't do it before. So there is this implication that, like, it's changing phases, I guess. Maybe. Um, because they talk about it later, there's like a beautiful butterfly. There's, like, a non-infectious phase, basically, of yep. the disease. But... The army finds out it's eating plastic, and they call the president. They're like, hey, you know how we told you to blow up that town? Please, and you God, didn't do don't it? blow up Don't the blow town. up the town, because if a nuclear bomb goes off, the Andromeda is going to grow even more, because yep. it absorbs radiation. We've got this great scene where uh, <clears throat> 1970s Steve Bannon and some other character wow. are, it's who he looks like, and some other character are yelling at them about, like, first you say blow up the town, then you say don't blow up the town. And they're like, please just don't blow it up. If you do that, it will absorb all the energy from the blast. It'll form a super colony and then mutate wildly. And who knows what will happen at that point. Right. Also to mention for before, their entire base is built with a safety mechanism of an emergency explosion from a nuclear reactor. Also a nuclear bomb. So they're like, well, when you, and it's great because they tell the guy, they're like, we need to disable it. And he's like, yeah, it'll be done by the morning, which of course, (laughs) like it'll be done by the morning, but it's also like everything happens before then. So it's irrelevant. Um, So I guess what happens next is Dr. Hall, he's kind of close to a breakthrough. He's like, um, she must have missed something in the cultures. Like, there's got to be something that is keeping these people alive. Made the virus didn't grow. Yep. So he thinks Ruth missed something in the cultures. 
Um, they know that it's growing under x-rays, so they move on to, I guess, the doctor... Dr. 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 is actually, yeah, he's actually carrying out experiments in his lab <coughs> to try and figure out, what is it, the disease progression or something like that? Yeah. And he has uh, organisms and the Andromeda strain uh, under control conditions, and there's a major leak in his laboratory mm-hmm. because it ate through one of the seals, which, you know, our characters who are below ground don't know this, but... We find out that all the seals in the entire building, it's said very ominously, are made from this substance called Polychron, which is the same thing in the, the Autobots. Jet. Oh. No, those are the Decepticons. Oh, that's Omicron. Oh, okay. no. Anyway, it no, doesn't matter. They, Megatron. Everything in the airplane. You started it. I did, I'm sorry. <laughs> everything in the airplane that uh, the pilot thought was rubber is actually made of the same substance. And so all of a sudden, Andromeda is able to eat through Polychron. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so. We have a leak. There's a leak. We have a crisis. We have a crisis, guys. The warning bells start going off, and they're like, oh, shit, contamination. This is a problem. Houston. Um, He's stuck in there, Dr. Dutter. Yep. And Dr. Stone and Hall are like, we're going to get him out of there. And Hall sort of has this theory where he's like, it's got to be the blood pH. Something about the blood chemistry. And he thinks that it's got to be either acid or base. Not even like minutes before this, Ruth is staring directly at a red light. (coughs) Has a seizure. Dr. Hall notices this and goes, oh my God, she has epilepsy. She didn't tell us. And so while they're going through this crisis procedure, Dr. Hall goes, holy crap, Ruth did all of the screening. If she saw a red blinking light, she may have had moments where she just doesn't remember. And so he goes back through all of the plate screening that Ruth did earlier that day and then finds the single plate where everything didn't grow. Notices that this was where the pH on this plate was different. It's outside of a normal uh, physiological range. And they show us this very, very nice scientific looking curve where they show the growth is at a peak at 7.4, but it grows like crap anywhere outside of Yep. But so they use this as like, okay, we found it. The pH is off. Breathe yeah. heavily. But while this is happening, so they they now know how to kill the, the Andromeda strain. Yeah. But it still keeps eating through all the seals. Yep. So now, of course, it eats through enough seals that the nuclear detonation like sequence has been initiated. Yep. And everything locks down. And of course, because they're like apparently terrible designers, they... <laughs> it the, locks down all over the place. Yeah, it locks down everywhere and there's no access to any of the subports in yeah. the area that they're in. The like, turn off the nuke button that Ohimark is supposed to be able to get, supposed to be able to get to is on either side of the doors that seal around our doctors. And don't worry, they were installing a new one in between the doors, but it wasn't finished. It just wasn't in. So it's like... There's this little chalk drawing that says, like, substation And, like, some wires hanging out. Yeah, it's (laughs) ridiculous. So before we get to... The rest of it's like a ticking clock race to get to shut off the nuke. Mark is, like, climbing up, you know, a ladder and running from gas and lasers and all these other things. But before we get to that... I want to talk to you guys about this pH thing. Okay. Because yeah. it's interesting to me in the movie that this virus can apparently, it's not virus, this pathogen Andromeda. can apparently grow in like every circumstance except for very, very tiny changes in pH just kill it. Yeah. There seemed, it seems to me like there's also a lot of other scenarios in which this thing would just die. Oh, yeah, Because pH is very, very sensitive. Like if you just get tap water, that pH is you know, not going to be 7.4. Yep. So if you got Andromeda and some tap water, it would just, would just die. Yeah. Well, they, they comment on how it's perfectly suited to live in space. I don't know a whole lot about the pH range of outer space. Well, there's also, like, because we're dealing... It, it's, I think that's pH where the, liquid. like... 
Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. We're, we're dealing with this, like, hand-waving thing of some crystalline form organism that's able to kill people. But if it is traveling through space, there are no water molecules There's going to be no free hydrogen. Exactly. And, like, There's no free hydrogen for you to measure a pH. Exactly. So, so maybe that's it? It just can't live in hydrated environments? Yeah, but so when it does infect humans, it isn't liquid. It is exactly Therefore, that. pH matters. So it might be that when it's in a non-liquid environment, it's just growing no matter what. And for and whatever reason. once it goes into a liquid environment, the pH needs to be stable for it to be I alive. Saw. That's the only thing that I can think of. That, and we won't get into it too much, but a uh, the ability to withstand pHs is very, very, for at least most organisms and viruses, prions, that sort of thing. The ability to withstand specific pHs is very closely tied to the general like stability of these organisms. Yeah. And so those are all very closely tied to temperature and exposure to radiation and uh, specific you know areas within the body that you're able to grow. So a lot of other things that like if you would expect pH to affect this thing. A lot of those other things should also affect. They should, yeah, right, exactly. For, so that's why I was saying, like, you would get multiple culture plates that didn't, grow, yes, didn't grow. For like, for example, with the with the <laughs> you su- suggested temperature is one of these various factors. You know, proteins like prions can only fold at certain temperatures without just going crazy and unfolding and being their not native structure. So that if pH, like you said, if pH should affect this, then so should heat. So maybe we can so, just give Andromeda strain a pass on saying that, like, this thing doesn't normally exist in a hydrated environment. Right. And for whatever reason, whenever it does enter one, only pH 7.4 allows it to proliferate. Right. I mean, the reason pH matters to organisms on Earth is because we are all we all have water. you got to maintain homeostasis, right? Maybe. Well, like, even a single-celled organism is going to have water in it. So, yep. like, pH is in play there. But if you're just, but like, a rock doesn't care what pH it is nope. because it's not alive. It's just a rock. But obviously, if you have a crystal structure or some stuff. Rock. Yeah, so anyways. Um, like a rock. So that's... Rock me like a I guess to so the end of the movie, he's racing up through a bunch of laser traps and stuff, gets to the subport, eight seconds remaining. <coughs> Excuse me. Eight seconds remaining, turns off the nuke signal, and he wakes up in a hospital bed. And... Well, we, I don't want to gloss over the fact that there are 15 seconds remaining, and he sticks the key in, and then <laughs> takes his hand off of the key completely and falls to the ground lifelessly, waits another seven or eight minutes, and then puts seconds. his hands... <laughs> se- sorry, seconds puts his hand back up, and then turns the key, which was wholly unnecessary even at this point in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So the way they... But so they haven't dealt with the problem of the Andromeda strain that's still out in the world because they didn't nuke it. It's spreading, obviously. It's clear that it destroyed a plane 23,000 feet up in the air. Right. So their solution, which and this is all in like the last minute, of the movie, yeah, um, is they what was it? Silver acetate, uh, silver, silver nitrate, nit- silver iodide, silver i. No, that can't be it. That's what it was. They shoot a bunch of silver iodide up into the clouds where the Andromeda, you know, strain is moving because they're based on the wind pattern, so like it's moving this direction. Right. Well, I don't really know how cloud seeding works, but apparently silver iodide <laughs> is used in it, and it's just used to literally just create clouds where there aren't any. And so they talk about a little bit how. By doing this, they're forcing Andromeda down into the ocean, where the pH is obviously, because of the salinity and all, everything else that's going on, the pH is different from 7.4. And so I think the idea is that they're forcing Andromeda out of the sky, just using rain that wasn't there, and then Andromeda dies in the ocean. Oh. Yeah, they literally... that It's like the last 30 seconds of the movie and then yeah, the credits roll. Bing, bang, boom. Yeah. yeah, and then we have Dr. Stone sitting in front of, I guess, a couple of senators, and they're like, 
well, what should we do next, Dr. Stone? And he goes, that is the question. What should we do? And then roll credits. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually kind of... <laughs> We're not doing this. Okay. It was actually kind of pretty anticlimactic at that point. It was. Film. Well, we had this like really, really crazy climax where Ohio Mark was running <laughs> through the core and he had to turn off the nuclear blast and then he does and he passes That was out, the climax. And then we just get this like, like you say, 30 second voiceover where they explain everything that's happened. There's like a two second scene with these senators and then they roll the credits. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Actually, it doesn't just roll credits. We get this like crazy freak out of and the picture of Andromeda. 601. It's like 601, yeah. which is 404 for the base, I guess. Yeah. But... All right, so that's how the movie goes. Thank you very much, John. Do you want to kick us off? Sure. So, for the science in this movie, yep. I think some of the, the feasibility... This is, again, another Michael Crichton movie, right? I think a lot of the feasibility of something like this actually happening, like the general scenario, is not that far-fetched, which is what makes it you know, relatable and interesting when you're watching the movie. Um, the specifics, like the pH the converting energy into matter sort of thing, it being made of organic material but not resembling anything organic. I think a lot of that is kind of right. bogus, but yeah. <laughs> I don't really mind as far as the plot goes. Um, also, the decontamination stuff is a little crazy. So I'm going to give it kind of middle of the road because I think they did a really, really great job showing like the meticulous work that they need to do in order to identify this unknown pathogen. And that is what most of the movie is centered on, and I think they actually did a really good job. I would agree. Showing, like, the scientific analysis and, like, the process they go through. Right, the minor trials and tribulations that you have to go through in order to do anything in the science. Right, so because of that, I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5, even though a lot of the, like, actual plot, there are a lot of plot holes with, like, that actually really happening in real life. So, as far as how I like the movie, I'm going to give it... Uh, I really, I mean, I like the movie, but I guess I'll give it a four out of five, five nice. out of five. Yeah, like, it's pretty good. It's a good movie. I like it. I've seen it multiple times. Um, I think it's really entertaining, so I love it. Yeah. I guess I could give it a five out of five. I feel like I give all my movies a five out of five, though, except as for Stupid Day After Tomorrow. Yeah, you really hated that. Yeah, it's, that movie's awful. <laughs> At least you didn't dunk on this movie for the science as hard as you did on uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> I love Jurassic Park, though. It's like one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I just was trying to be critical. Pace, would you like to go next? I would love to go next. In regards to the science of the film, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it a 4 out of 5. I think that they portrayed the scientific process very well. Yep. And they showed how tedious it can be. Um, But it was also, I think, really accessible for what I perceive to be both someone with a science background and someone without a science background. So I think they did a really good job with that. In regards to the overall entertainment factor, I had never seen this before. I was entertained. I wasn't on the edge of my seat, and I wasn't, like, thrilled. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, so I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5 for overall right. entertainment factor, just because <laughs> certain parts, the ending especially, I think could have been uh, organized and done a little better. But, Fair enough. Um, yeah. What do I'm, you think, Kenan? I mean, I'll probably give it similar ratings, right? Like, I thought the... So the only problems I had, really, with the actual science in this movie were the way that the biosafety levels for this thing were portrayed because yeah. they were just way over the top. They were. And the just generalized existence of the organism or whatever we're going to call it because it's just so out there. But otherwise, like, everything in the movie is pretty good. Like, they do 
a lot of the same things that you would do in order to identify an infectious disease yes. just at a basic level. And like you say, they show the tedium that's involved in that. So I think I would give the movie a 4 out of 5 as far as science goes. Uh, as far as entertainment factor goes, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5 for that as well. I will say the entire time I watched it, I've watched so many movies recently that were made in the 70s that are intended to be comedy. I actually mentioned this during the time we were watching the movie that I... The entire time, every time anybody did anything, I expected Leslie Nielsen to just show up and just there'd be some sort of sight gag. Like, I, I would literally just be watching the movie and laugh, thinking about something that was going to happen that should be funny. And, of course, it didn't because the movie's not a freaking comedy. It sure isn't. Pace, why don't you hit us with some listener mail? We do have a listener question mm-hmm. that we can cover this time. All right, hit me with it. This listener question is uh, from Curtis DeGraw. Nice. Who is from... Merman. Merman, who is from which area of the United States? I don't, I don't know where he lives. Oh, I only know him from the internet. All right. We know Merman from the internet. Uh, and he posed the question, what is the reason behind the Andromeda nomenclature of oh, this like discovery? That. I thought about this a little bit. The closest galaxy to us is, of course, the Andromeda galaxy, which I... I'm not an astrophysicist, but we obviously know a lot less about that galaxy than the Milky Way. Certainly. So maybe they named it that as in, like, this is something we haven't seen before. And especially in 1971, they would know less about it. Right. right? So maybe they named it, like, because they're saying, oh, this could have possibly come from the Andromeda galaxy. Exactly. And they actually say in the movie, I think someone says, like, why Andromeda? And they're like, it's the closest galaxy to ours. Right. Yep. Which, like... I mean, it is. Yeah. So, it's not from the, probably not from the immediate vicinity, but in that we also, I don't know if we're educated on where the Scoop project sent its probes, its satellite probes. Yeah, I mean, that would be insanely far. Yeah, there would be very far. Uh, no way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, sp- the space program would not have been around long enough for, for no. the Scoop 7 satellite to have traveled close enough to the end of the galaxy. Well, that's why rack. the galaxy gets hit by a rock, so it's possible, like, this came the from gets it by rock. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but I think the it was just, beyond. for me, it, it represented just the next furthest away thing that we haven't seen yet. Sure. You know, like yeah. the next galaxy that we are unfamiliar with. So We also have a uh, another question from a friend of the podcast, Bart, uh, who asks us, uh, why strain instead of sprain or pull? Just like Bart. I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> um, well. Sean, you want to feel that one that you're no, resident MD? What? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Why strain? Is it an Andromeda strain? Yeah, yeah, instead of pull or sprain. Uh, because pull and sprain were taken. Perfect. <laughs> so thanks, Bart. Thanks for the question. Yeah, thank you very much, Bart. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we appreciate it. Yeah. Um, we right. also, actually, before we go on, oh, we have geez. had, just one more thing. We have had our first donation of the podcast. What? Yeah, absolutely. We Almost did. Donated. Uh, so our friend, uh, friend of the podcast, Brett White, uh, who I think you can find at Real Critical on Twitter, correct? Uh, donated one dollar to uh, the Real Science Cast recently. I'm what? I'm going to oh. be taking the the thirty four cent third. Okay, that's fine. And with then me. you guys can have thirty three. We cents. were told that we had to split it up evenly between all of us. So mm, that's not even though. Yeah, you're going to be taking 33 three. Well, here's what we can do then. All we'll take the last penny. We'll okay. shove it up your ass. Wow. Oh. Um 
And okay. then we'll all have 33 cents. How does that sound? Uh, it sounds like I'm going to cut that out of the podcast. It's <laughs> yeah, pretty, uh, no, you know what it sounds like? I think we could just split 50-50. Yeah, it actually sounds pretty yeah, good. That's, that's fine. Good. Yeah, Pace right. is being pretty uh, pretty angry about the whole thing. So we'll just we'll just, we'll just just split it. Yeah, he okay. must be really poor. Yeah. I don't know. I, poor grad student. Poor grad. That's all of us, man. So we should definitely wrap this up because Sean's sick. I'm sick. Uh, Pace's cocaine is worrying. And we've talked off. for two hours. And we've <laughs> talked for two hours. And this is going to be a hell to edit. It's going to be fun to edit. You're going to edit a lot of shit. What are we going to watch next, guys? I know That's what we're gonna actually going to watch. We should say what we're actually going to watch. Pace, what are we going to watch next? We're going to watch Split. That's right. Which is actually is going to be, I think, a very fun and entertaining movie to watch. It's fairly recent. Um, starring James McAvoy? Nope. Just say it with more starring, so. starring James Garfield. No, that's not it. Sorry, God, Garfield I, the cat. I You're gonna have so I much hate Mondays. <laughs> it's gonna be. And I hate Mondays too, Pace. It is James <laughs> McAvoy. Eat my whole butt. <laughs> James Garfield mm, McAvoy. McAvoy. Okay, so we're gonna be watching Split, starring James, James McAvoy. McAvoy. <laughs> I said that. Why did you? Pause? Yeah, but you're gonna edit a lot I'm of that out, right? I'm not editing oh, any of that Jesus. out. Okay. So we're gonna watch that next. When is that going to air? Mike? That's gonna air on December 19th this year. Correct. Yeah, perfect. So if you guys have any questions for Split, if you've seen it, just send us in. Uh, don't ask us why it was called Split and not and not Cut or uh, Squash or anything Ask like us that. whatever you want. Slice. You thanks. just won't get an answer that you want. <laughs> thanks for the question, Bart. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, feel free to always contact us via Twitter or email, which on Twitter is at RealScienceCast yep. and also RealScienceCast at gmail.com for That's our right. email. Where can we find you on the internet base? Oh, me? Uh, you can oh. find me at Michael C. Pace, uh, where you can where you can talk to me about all the great things that we experience in this life. Kenan, where can people find you? You can find me on every form of media at LOL Kenan. That's L-O-L K-E-N-N-O-N. Kenan. That's me. What about you? You can Mr. find Sean. me on uh, the Real Science Cast <laughs> Facebook page. And I don't know if this joke page. is ever going to get old. It's, I mean, the thing is, it's like it's like not really a joke because I actually don't Sean use the other thing. Sean does not so. use any form of social media. Yeah, I just don't. You actually barely use your phone. It's almost impossible to get in contact with you for the most part. I just don't. I don't know. I'm just not into it. No, it's I get not it. me. Dude, I get it. You I've built a person. on the land. It's my brand. It's, dude, that's right. <laughs> it's my it brand, Kevin. Your, brand. Kenan, your so. brand is a lack of communication. Yeah, and a, and a general hate of technology. I don't hate technology. That's not true. You you don't play you video games. You just That's play not true. Magic Sean just bought an cards. Xbox. I just got an Xbox. You got the Xbox, and I already finished the Halo campaign. Damn, <laughs> two days. I was like, Damn. dude, yeah. I finished and, that. And like you're gonna tell me. Ago. You're gonna tell me what? Halo Five. Oh, nice. not Halo One. <laughs> you're gonna tell me right now what game you're gonna be getting next? Uh, I downloaded Borderlands. So we can play Borderlands. What? Yeah. You're right. But then after that, you're going to get... Witcher 3. Yeah, boy! The other ones are free. That's why I know. <laughs> if you have any questions about Witcher 3, you can also listen to our Witcher 3 fan podcast with Sean and I and Pace when he eventually buys it. We'll be starting. Uh, I'm, I'm going to buy it, so get ready. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nah, we're not doing that. Sweet deal. All, All right, right, we need to back out of this because it's been two hours. We have to stop talking. All right. Stop talking. You know where to find us. Send us questions. Next episode airs... December 19th. December 19th. Get ready. I'm Sean. I'm Kenan. I'm Pace. Stay classy. No, you don't need good move. Fuck. No, sorry, what was that? <laughs> you don't need good science to make a good movie. Anyway, bye. So what are the dates that Andromeda Strain and Split are going to come out? Andromeda Strain releases on the 5th of December. Okay. And Split... 
is planned to be released on the 19th of December. All right. And then after that, we're going to record Jingle All the Way. (laughs) Two. Two. Starring (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger's brother. And Sin Bartle's brother. Bartle Bordsenegger. And Sin Good. And Sin Great. Sin Great. Sin Great and Barnold Sportsenegger. <laughs> Sounds good. Or his football player brother, Arnold Sportsenegger. Oh, wow. That's good. <laughs> God, that's awful. Arnold's... I'm Arnold Sportsenegger. Pass the ball to me. <laughs> Get to the end zone. <laughs>